And we're recording. I'm Ray Hanania. I'm Bill Lipinski. I'm Brian Broking. And this is uh, Two Guys on Politics, plus our producer, Brian right. Broking. Great guy. Um, and we're uh, going to be talking a little bit about uh, Ukraine and, you know, just uh, this never-ending horror. Um, and then we're also going to uh, spend some time on the issue of globalization. So let's start with Ukraine. The president had his big press conference today, more support, um, a little tougher sanctions, but bigger equipment, right? That's what I understand. But, you know, I want to bring up a point. I'm reading more people, hearing more people talking about uh, the president of the Ukraine uh, should uh, give uh, Putin a call and say, uh, I give you the uh, eastern part of uh, the Ukraine and uh, let's shut this down uh, and end this war uh, at the present time. Uh, I'm not saying that the president of the Ukraine is saying that at all, but it seems to me like there's more and more people talking about that. Pundits on radio, TV, etc. Have you fellas heard anything along those lines? Yeah, Brian? I think there's there's definitely been a, you know, push to to get this over with, right? I mean, at any time you're at war, you know, the, the parties outside of it that could be, you know, collateral like Poland would almost rather, you know, they come to some kind of agreement. They're not losing anything, right? The only the only party that really loses anything in this whole scenario is Ukraine, right? So right. I, I think there is the outside push to to wrap this up, finish it up, just give those territories, which I mean those territories were being fought over for the past eight years. So it's, it's not like it was, you know, yeah, it was Ukrainian territory, but it wasn't really sovereign Ukrainian territory. So I, I think it, it's almost a point at this point to, you know, push back on that for Zelensky and, and take back Crimea and, you know, drive Putin, Putin home. Yeah. I, I don't think that he has any chance of doing it. I know that the Ukrainian army has done a great job on beating up the Russians and the, uh, beating them back in the western portion of the country. But uh, you know, the Russian supply line now is uh, very short. The Ukrainian supply line is very long. I just don't see how the Ukrainians win. Now, if he wants to keep fighting, you know, fine. Uh, but uh, I, I just don't see how he ever gets back those territories. It, you know. I'm much more critical of that opinion because I, this is the way our society has become. I, I used to get a newspaper that was four inches thick on Sunday, and the stories were a foot long, and they were deep and involved. And as the years went on, we started getting shorter and shorter. We wanted things fast. We're into the Internet, where now it's Twitter with 140 words. You know, this war has gone on for almost 60 days, and I think our society is just tired of, uh, you know, I was really into it when it started, but it's just too much. It's too many words, too many actions. Let's get out of it. I, I see this guy, uh, Putin, as a real threat to the United States, not directly today, but long term. And I think that if this guy would go into Ukraine and destroy a country without negotiating, he never gave it a chance, that he would be likely to start something in his lifetime to hurt us just out of pure spite. I think he's crazy. I think he literally is sick. And I think we got to take him out. Well, okay. Now, 
That's fine. I don't want to spend a lot of time on Ukraine today because I want to get into uh, the well, subject. But you tell me how we're going to take him out. Well, I think we continue to stop him because he has his May 9th uh, May Day parade that the Russians always celebrate. And he's in day, what, 58 of the two-day war that he vowed. He said 48 hours. This is a huge embarrassment for this guy. And we're all concerned about his ego. Is he, oh, the poor guy, let's find a way to give him a, an out. And I'm not saying you're saying it, but I've heard this on radio. His poor ego. Yeah, no, but people are saying, let's give him a way out. If we can just give him a way out, we could end this war. I don't yeah. think that's what you do yeah, with the Nazi. Yeah. You have not answered me on how we drive well, him out of the Ukraine yet. I, I think we you need keep, to give him a way out. Every war has to have a way out. Yeah, I but mean, it's you're not, not surrender. You don't surrender to a Nazi. This guy is a well, Nazi in my book. He didn't lose, though. The Nazis didn't surrender. They lost. We Russia won. is never going to lose this war. But see, so that's he's never going to surrender. That's fatalistic. I think the idea to think that the Russians won't lose is a mistake. I think there are a lot of options and things that could happen if this goes on long term where he might be taken out by his own people. You know, in the last uh, uh, the Crimea and the uh, uh, invasion of Georgia, there were a lot of mothers of soldiers that banded together and really pressured him to end some of that conflict. It was really a threat to his administration. I don't think we paid attention to him the way we should have. And I think we're getting a rude awakening. Uh, well, I also believe though that what we should have done is uh, ramp things up very quickly. We keep sending them more and more and more weapons and bigger weapons, stronger weapons, but all to, it's doing to me is prolonging the war because I still don't see how the Ukrainians win this war. And I don't think that he's going to give up until he gets some kind of concession out of Ukraine. Even if he gets a concession, let me ask you this. And, and you, you asked the question, how would we win? I think we, we give them more than what we've given them. I think we have to give them anti-aircraft systems. I think we even need to give... Uh, Zelensky, uh, fighter jets. I think we need to stand up toe-to-toe -to -toe with Putin. But how can, even if we do give him a way to get out of the war, how do we turn our back on uh, these atrocities and war crimes and the massacres, these burials of people? You know, there. It's honestly, it makes me think about World War II. We didn't know about the gas chambers until the very end of the war. Had we known about the gas chambers, would it have changed the way we fought the Germans? I'm wondering if that technology can't allow Putin to hide what he's doing. We see it. I don't want to get into the situation with Germany, but uh, Ray, we did know about the gas chambers long before the war ended. There were several Jewish groups that petitioned Franklin Roosevelt on a number of occasions to bomb the railroad tracks going to the concentration camps. He chose not to do it because he didn't want to divert our energy from the war effort. But that was after we got into it, I think like in 1943. Oh yeah, it was after we got into it. But, but we're, we're into a war where this guy is already engaged in war crimes. I think he can never get out of this 
I would never I would be upset if I saw any American official in the future standing up with him at a press conference saying, well, let's move forward for the peace of the world. I would vote against that person. I would well, never I, support I, that. I don't want to see that happen. I don't think that's going to happen either. I hope not. So, but it's very distressing. Um, but I don't want to give up yet. I, I think we need to do more. But I, I know there's a division in this country now. Some people want to get want us to move on. Um, but and there are a lot of people that don't want to move on. There becomes more and more people who are opposed to supporting it. And there's more and more wild rumors going around. I don't know if you heard this one about the uh, the senator from uh, Delaware, uh, who supposedly over the weekend was talking to some people and saying that uh, Biden is just about ready to commit American ground troops to the war. Either one of you hear anything about that? No, I have not. And not going to commit ground troops. Well, no, we're not going to. But I mean, this was uh, supposedly Senator, I think it's Coons from uh, Delaware. Yeah, very close that. to Joe Biden. Uh, uh, supposedly telling some people, you know, that Joe's seriously considering doing this. Okay. That's enough on Ukraine, all right? Well, it's uh, listen, Ukraine is still the biggest topic that is killing us because we don't have a solution to it. But yeah, we can end it there. And You're right, we next. don't have a solution to it. As soon as you get one, let me know. Yeah, put troops on the ground, fight him and defeat him American before he defeats on us. The ground. Absolutely. I, I think that's what we have to do. I can't sanction that, I'm sorry. I know. And there are a lot of people that won't, but I think that there are a lot of people that when they when they see what he's doing, believe that an evil like him cannot exist in this world. We There's can't no just step back and not be engaged. OK, next week's program will devote totally and completely. That's if Ukraine, if the Ukraine still exists and hasn't been wiped off the map like Mariupol. Well, listen. Well, just, I think the way we deal with this then is is through globalization and global trade, right? That's the way you disarm the Chinese. That's the way you disarm the Russians. You do it through global trade. Globalization has probably caused us to be in the situation we're in with China and with Russia. People have become too dependent upon both of those dictatorial governments. We have to stop that. We can't afford to have that. People have to be much more independent. Each country has to be independent. Each country has to be self-reliant. We cannot have this globalization. There's too much evil in the world. I, I agree with that, except I'm not gonna blame the average Joe on the street who's buying this Chinese junk and Russian garbage oil. Uh, I'm gonna blame the big corporate robber barons that own our big corporations, that uh, own these big businesses, that made the choice to save money and make things cheaper and so they can build up their profits. And we just went along with it as consumers and we buy it. So, and globalization, the trade is one part of it, but it also has to do with, you know, uh, human life on a, trying to have everybody live at a similar level of, you know, uh, having the same things. We, we talk to people with the internet every day now in places that I've never been. And I've traveled a lot. Um, so, and those people see how we live. Globalization is trying to bring the balance up also 
So they live like us. It's not an easy thing. Oh, globalization is bringing us down to how those people live. It's true. I mean, there's an averaging out, right? Well, no, that's that's like, not how it is. I would that, like that's... to hear from Brian Broking because he's really into this globalization. And you and I, Ray, seem to be opposed to it. I know I'm opposed to it. Uh, I, I'm not so opposed to it as you think. I just think that the blame for globalization are on the corporations that brought it on us, and we're not holding them responsible for what they did. Okay. I want to hear so from I, Mark. I, I think there's two, two main tenets when you have to consider globalization. First is what is being produced, and then who you're partnering with. And, and those, the, the kind of relation between those two is important. What's being produced? So we have two separate scenarios here, right? We're, we're dependent on, or really Europe is dependent on Russia for oil, right? Or natural gas energy. We're dependent on China for a lot of technology output. That Taiwan, you know, similar countries around that area. We're dependent on them for the technology outputs. So the question is not who's producing it, but what is being produced by those people. If China is producing glassware and, you know, common everyday goods that Americans use, tables, that stuff, that's fine. We can live without that. But it's, it's about the strategic nature of these things. We need to bring back certain things. Like we need to produce semiconductors in this country. We need to produce batteries. We need to produce the 21st century technologies in this country. But everything else, you know, everyday items, pens, paper, that kind of stuff, there's no reason we shouldn't import those from these poorer countries. We're leveraging the fact that the entire world is based on the U.S. dollar, right? Yeah, but Brian, you're missing, I think you're missing one major point in all that. The technology that China is making, we brought to them. The Apple computers brought all of their technology there to build it cheaper. And now we're dependent on that and them. The Chinese have never been honest. They've been stealing our, you know, uh, our, our ideas and technology for years. So I don't think it's just a matter of, you know, we kind of created it. And unless we bring these companies back, I don't know if that changes anything. China now has the technology that we have. Well, and they China, make was always, China was always going to get to the point where they're, you know, on par with us technology wise, right? They're, they're the second well, world power. But they right? have like, they a, have a billion they have like eight year old kids sitting there in these factories making these things working 12 hours a day. Because, well, we're talking about two separate things here, though, right? I don't think we are. We're but talking go about ahead. technology or human capital, right? Well, the technology, technology is coming from human capital. Well, the it's being produced by the human capital. I mean, every innovation in technology is still happening in the United States of America, right? There, there's every big Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, everything is in the United States. That kind of technology software is in the US. It's just simply the hardware is over in China. And that's just the dynamics of the way the country works now. We're a mature global country. That, that What happens when you do that is the cost of living raises. And then you get to trade with these poorer countries, take their resources in exchange for your intellectual property, basically. And that's the trade-off you make. I don't know, Bill, globalization. It, it's a, well, it's a not, tough one. There's a good side and a bad side to it. When obviously. we get rid of all evil in the world, 
then globalization will be wonderful. Right now, globalization has caused a lot of problems. Primarily right now, the situation with the Russians attacking Ukraine. You know, look at how many countries have really been put on the spot because of this, because so many of them have become so dependent on Russia for their gas and their oil. You know, Putin says, excuse me, Biden says that all of them support, you know, the Ukraine, all of them support our position. Well, I think most of them give lip service to that. How much they're really supporting us, I don't know, because they still don't want to offend, you know, the Russians that much because they're getting the gas and oil. Now, by the same token, if Joe would allow us to produce all the gas and oil that we have in this country, we could ship it all over there and sell it to those Europeans so they wouldn't have to be dependent upon the Russians. And well, that's the, the, go ahead. that's the core point, right? That the technology and the energy are the important strategic assets. They should be considered as military assets, not as you know public goods. They're being that's used what you as need weapons. to consider. Right. Yeah. They're being used as weapons. I agree. Exactly. So you need to think, what are the core things to life in modern society? You need energy. You need technology, you need food, right? As long as you can produce those three on the homeland, I have no issue outsourcing, you know, the making of general goods to China, to Bangladesh, to any other country like that. You just need to simply take into effect that you can live without the things you import needs to be the motto. Well, Russia is only one producer of oil. There are a lot of other major companies that could easily replace what Russia is producing. Um, and substituted. But uh, for whatever reason, we haven't gone in that direction. I don't even know why we went to Russia to buy the oil, because it was cheaper. Well, Well, Europe is relatively barren when it comes to natural gas and oil. So the reason they import is they have to. Right. I know. But why why didn't they go to the Middle East, for example? Why didn't Europe just go to the work with the Middle East to get their oil and their natural gas? Rather, well, when you look at it, Russia? half of Europe was behind the wall for half a century. So you build up all that infrastructure, it's easy to extend the infrastructure forward. I mean, it, it's easier to build those pipelines there than it is to build them from the Middle East from scratch. I mean, these are billions and billions of dollars projects that don't just appear out of nowhere. Yeah. But the, the most significant country in Europe, as far as being a bulwark against the Russians or Chinese, for that matter, is Germany. And only 40% of that was behind the Iron Curtain for all those years. Uh, the, the Germans don't seem to be able to make up their mind, you know, if they're going to get themselves away from the Russians or if they want to continue to stick with the Russians. And here's another thing. These countries could become, to a great degree, self-reliant if they would go into nuclear Technology. The Germans are giving up the nuclear technology instead of implementing it. I think that's ridiculous. Well, the, the great harm of, you know, Chernobyl and Three Mile Island 50 years ago is we basically stopped investing in nuclear. It's the single most efficient way for to A, protect the environment to settle that, but B, you know, maintain a, a clear path to getting energy for your population. And, but what's the what's the space between nuclear energy as a uh, a form of uh, energy to live by and nuclear energy as a form of a weapon? 
the, the distance between the two isn't that great. And I think the big fear is that, yeah, we love nuclear energy as long as we control it, as long as no one else gets it, and they don't expand it to create nuclear weapons like Iran. Iran says they just want a nuclear a source for nuclear energy. I don't believe that. No, I, I don't. Think well, the, the isotope you use is completely different, is it not? Yeah, but it's the technology that allows you to do both. You could do uranium and you could do um, all these different aspects of building a nuclear bomb or a nuclear uh, energy source. They're not that far apart. And I think that's the dangerous part that keeps us from really pursuing you know, nuclear energy in a broad way around the world. The Germans... Uh... You know, had they want to shut, they're planning on shutting down their nuclear plants, which, you know, hopefully they've come to their senses now with this situation with Russia and the Ukraine, but they were planning on actually doing that. Now, I don't really know how much nuclear energy other countries in Europe have, or for that matter, you know, how much, you know, countries, other countries around the world have. But I think that's really something to invest in. As Brian said, it was 50 years ago we had those problems with those nuclear power plants. I am sure that things, the safety has improved significantly since that time. And getting back to Brian's point, Brian's point in regards to, there's a lot of things that could be made by China that we really wouldn't care that they made. Well, a long time ago before Brian was born and before Ray, you knew where you were, there was a country called Japan. And after the second world war, all of a sudden they started manufacturing things very inexpensively, cute little things. And we started importing those things. And the more we imported, the more of our dollars went to Japan. And all of a sudden, the Japanese were making these automobiles. And these automobiles were pretty good automobiles. And they started importing them to the United States. And it started costing us jobs in the auto industry in the United States. So it should. American cars got left behind. They, well, they got lazy. They exactly. got competed out of the market. Yeah, I, That I, should I, happen. The I Japanese agree. cars were far better than the American cars. I used to be a big fan of Chevrolet, but I haven't had a Chevy in years. I have a Nissan, um, and I've been buying foreign cars now for the last probably 20 years because I get better quality, better mileage, and more reliability. If I buy an American car sometimes, I wonder what the quality is like. Are you uh, finished now? May I continue what I was saying before? Well, you... we're having a discussion here. This oh, isn't God, a... God. Hey, this isn't a dictatorship, Bill. When I, when I get interrupted the way I got interrupted by YouTube, I was just getting to the point of my story, and the two of you jumped on me to tell me that the American cars were bad. All right. I'm... Oh, the all Japanese right, got all this money, and they started exporting their automobiles to this country underselling our automobiles, costing us jobs, costing us manufacturing, uh, you know, money. But what happened? Fortunately, we had a president by the name of Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan said, if you're going to sell cars in this country, you're going to manufacture them in this country. And the Japanese proceeded to do so. And fortunately, and in many aspects, it gave an opportunity to the American automobile industry to catch up to the Japanese. But someone, you know, had to step in and do something to stop this. Otherwise, the Japanese probably would have drove the American automobile industry out of business. And I agree with Brian 
I agree with you, Ray. The cars that the Americans were making were becoming less and less significant because people were getting lazy in not doing the things that should have been done. But let's also acknowledge that it's not a producer-driven economy. It's consumer-driven in many cases. And the consumers made the choice. When they looked at the two, they chose the overseas production. They chose the... So it wasn't like Japan said, take my car or we'll destroy you. They said, Here, here's our car. And Americans bought them in flocks. I mean, in waves. We're the ones that built up Japan. And I think we're doing right. the same thing with China. You certainly are. Yes, absolutely. Well, but we've, we've kind of solved this, right? Tesla, yeah, the we newest American manufacturer, absolutely. is going to produce cars in Texas. The yeah, gigafactory just opened. Right. I bought a car. My Nissan cost uh, 52000 I think, which is unbelievable, the rate of inflation. But a Tesla, you want a decent Tesla? You're talking seventy, eighty thousand dollars. There are people out there in today's economy. That's their entire savings. I don't know if that's going to solve our problem. Are they going to bring well, the cost of cars down? What one argument I'll make for that is so many Americans buy these trucks, the Ram, the Ford. I agree. You know, these are one hundred fifty thousand dollars cars. It's it's a you know you're on car payments for five or ten years at that point. I, I don't really think cost is the this. The, the upfront cost is as much, if not less. And then you have the electricity rather than the gasoline. And then you save money there. I think that's a, a perfect example of basically competing your way into relevance. Uh, there was a we're report producing on, that here. There was a report on TV this week uh, because of the increase in gas prices. All of the auto dealers, all the auto manufacturers were now focusing on electric cars. But the key to that whole story was a moment where they said these cars are going to cost twice as much as the gas, gasoline driven cars. And I'm thinking, what? This is about well, profits. It's not about doing the right true. thing. Go ahead, Bill. Sorry. I, I just don't know if that's going to be true, that uh, these electric cars are going to be cost twice as much. I think the cars that are so expensive here are what you two mentioned earlier. You know, they talk about them being cars. Things are trucks. You know, uh, that's probably the biggest selling portion of the American automobile market. These, uh, these, I, I don't really know what they call them, but they Ford are not cars. Okay. Yeah, they're just, those are just too big. Yeah. And they're driving them around in little urban areas. It's not like they need them at a farm. It's some neighbor that lives in a, you know, nice fancy neighborhood in uh, Evanston or Orland Park you know, that's driving around this giant truck that's just guzzling gas. And you wonder, why do you need that truck? But anyway, globalization, good or bad? Bad. What do you think, Brian? I think it's good. I think we're, we're leveraging our, our value. I think we, we undersell the idea that every commodity in the world is denominated in United States dollars now. And I, I think what that lets us do is it lets us, if we want to, prioritize the, quote, defense necessary things like energy, technology production to be on American soil, then you outsource the rest. I don't think that hurts Americans. I think that helps them. I think globalization is good when we do it the right way, and it's bad when we do it the wrong way. 
And I think that when it's driven by greed, globalization is a bad thing. And I think that's part of the factor that's pressuring it. That's just my thought on it. Okay. All right. All right. I'm Ray Hanania. Should be discussed further in the future. I think we should do that. I think it's very important. I think it's even more important than the situation in Ukraine. I don't know if I agree with you about that, but I figured you'd say that. (laughs) I'm ready to put my uniform on and go back to fight. All right. Anyway, thank you. I'm ready. You were in the Air Force. I was. Right? I was. F-111 jet fighters, the one of the the biggest technology during the Vietnam War for a long time helped us win the war. But uh, fortunately, my base never was sent overseas. What war was that that we won? Yeah. uh, When was the last war that we won? World War II. World War, yes. (laughs) I'm not sure. Was there a war that we won after that other than the bullying of Iraq, that little piddly little country where we went in there and steamrolled them because they were so easy. I think I you could know. argue we won Korea. I don't know. No, Look at what's oh, happening. I don't think so. I don't it's, think so either. All right. Not, anyway, I'm, Brian, I, you wouldn't believe that because no one believed we won that war. No, we didn't. All right. Listen, I think we've reached the end of this. I'm Ray Hanania. I'm Bill Lipinski. I'm Brian Broking. All right. And this is two guys on politics with our producer, Brian Broking. We will see you next week. Um, when we have some more uh, just lively debate. I think this is a good lively discussion today. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. All right, let me... uh...